We've enjoyed some fantastic uh, weather this morning, weather like Paul, we've been up at six o'clock in the morning, or perhaps later on in the day, we've had some great weather, haven't we? And uh, it's meant that some of us could get out in the garden, or some of you may have been for uh, a walk, uh, a nice long walk in the, I was going to say the summer sunshine, should we say the spring sunshine? Some of you I know belong to, to walking clubs, others of you may have dogs that you take out on a daily basis uh, for a walk. Has anybody read Nelson Mandela's book, A Long Walk to Freedom? You have my admiration. A Long Walk to Freedom. It was a long walk. Kathy, have you read it? No? no? That's, that surprises me. A Long Walk to Freedom, 630 pages. I've got to be honest with you folks, I gave up after about 35 and gave the book to my sister. People walk at different paces, don't they? Um, sometimes when I'm walking with Julie, uh, she'll say, slow down, I've only got little legs. <laughs> Some of you walk faster uh, than others. Um, a guy called uh, Tom Bosworth, who is a, a British Olympian uh, champion, he race walked a mile in 5 minutes and 31 seconds at a meet in London. It's the fastest ever recorded time for a mile just walking. I've got to be honest, I'm not sure I could run a mile in 5 minutes and 31 <laughs> seconds. But what is it that makes a walk memorable? Is it the weather? Is it the scenery? Is it perhaps the companions that are with us? And in this passage that Paul read to us in Luke 24, we have a beautiful account, don't we, of how two people's lives were changed when they spent time on a walk uh, with Jesus. Now, if you'd have interviewed uh, Clopas and his fellow disciple, some people think it may have been his wife, uh, we're, we're not sure. But if you'd have interviewed them and asked them, what was your most memorable journey? I'm pretty sure they'd have said without hesitation, it was on Resurrection Day afternoon when we walked from Jerusalem to our hometown in Emmaus. If you'd have probed just a little bit deeper and asked, what was it that made that journey so memorable. They wouldn't have mentioned the scenery. They probably wouldn't have mentioned the weather either. They'd have mentioned it was the presence of Jesus that made all the difference. It was Jesus who gave them new hope during those few hours they spent with him. So my theme this evening is walking with Jesus brings us hope. And the word hope has come up a number of times this, uh, this evening. In 2001, a journalist asked Archbishop Desmond Tutu, how do you remain so optimistic in the light of all the problems that there are in South Africa? And Tutu replied, I am not an optimist. I have hope. I think that's far better. I remember Billy Graham uh, describing Christian hope as being biblical shorthand for certainty. The Bible uses the word hope in a totally different way to the way that uh, we use it normally. But that question, is there any hope, is a question that is asked 
every day by thousands of people in hundreds of ways. Is there any hope about my finance? Any hope about my relationships? Any hope about my marriage? Any hope about the health of a loved one? The truth is that we all need hope to cope with life. We need hope in our individual lives and we need hope in our family situation. We also need hope, don't we, in our church life. I feel really hopeful uh, at this current time at NCBC. There are so many great things that are happening. Some of them you may not be aware of them, but God is at work. He really is. And we trust him uh, for the future. Fyodor Dostoevsky, I'm glad I could say that, he said to, to live without hope is to cease to live. Seems that our two friends were disciples of Jesus. They weren't part of that uh, inner circle of 12. They would have been part of the wider uh, group who followed Jesus. And on that first uh, Easter resurrection day in the afternoon, they're walking home to Emmaus from Jerusalem, a journey of about seven or eight miles. It would have taken them something like two and a half to three hours. So let's just remind ourselves what happened on that journey and as it were just take a stroll in their sandals for a while. As they trudged back to Emmaus they talked together, they, they were discussing everything that had happened. Then Jesus joins them on their journey but I don't know why, Mark will tell us later I'm sure, they were kept from recognising him. Verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So there were two things that they knew. They knew that they'd heard news, as it were, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And secondly, they hadn't seen Jesus uh, for themselves. And like many of the other disciples, they couldn't believe that the one who was crucified, dead and buried, was now alive. So how were Clopas and his companion, how are they feeling? Well, in Luke 24, <clears throat> we can understand what was going through their minds. They were downcast, you could say discouraged, totally dejected. He, that is Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Clopas asked him, are you a visitor? Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? And P, uh, Jesus, um, he pretends to know nothing of the events over the last few days and asks them why they look so downcast. And Topaz probably thinks, well, th this person is, is a Jew who's come to Jerusalem to uh, celebrate the Passover. He explains how Jesus had been crucified and that some of the women had been to the tomb that morning. They hadn't found uh, the body of Jesus, but had seen the angels who told them he was alive. 
Amid their conversation, we find a key phrase that really very clearly illustrates how they were feeling. But we had hopes that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Their downcast faces reflected their disappointed feelings. They were disappointed by recent events that hadn't turned out the way that they had hoped and expected. I hadn't believed all that the prophets had said about the Messiah. They thought the Messiah would be a conquering hero, not a suffering servant. I want us just for a moment to think about that little phrase, we had hoped. We had hoped. Does it ring true in our experience of life? Let's just make it personal for a moment. I had hoped that. That things would turn out differently in my family, in relationships. I had hoped that things would turn out differently in terms of employment, or my children, or my parents. At times we all get disheartened. We all get disappointed by events. We get disappointed by other people, don't we? Be honest. We do, don't we? We have expectations of other people. And sometimes they disappoint us. We are sometimes disappointed um, by, by church. Sometimes we're even disappointed by God. Philip Yancey wrote uh, a great book called Disappointment with God. If you want to read that, ask me and I'll bring a copy uh, next week. Disappointment with God. But how would you complete that sentence, I had hoped that? Think about that just for a moment. What were your hopes? What were your aspirations? That something would happen, and as yet it doesn't seem to have happened. I had hope, perhaps, that someone in my family uh, would come to a point where they choose to follow Christ. I had hopes. So how did Jesus raise their spirits and give them hope? Well, first of all, he opened up the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 25. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus, the master teacher, takes them on another walk. A walk through the Old Testament. Wouldn't you like to have been there? As he went through the Old Testament, started with Moses and the prophets, saying, this is the person, I am the person that these verses are speaking of. You would perhaps have touched on the Passover, uh, maybe the Levitical offerings, the serpent in the wilderness lifted up so that all who look would be healed. Maybe he spoke of the suffering servant. 
in Isaiah 53 may be the prophetic message in Psalm 22. He opens up the scriptures. Why? Because, as Paul says, faith comes from hearing and the message is heard through the word of Christ. That's why when we run an Alpha course, we always encourage the guests to read the scriptures for themselves. Is that right, Paula? We want them to check out what we're saying. That it's not some myth or some fairy tale. It is grounded in the word of God. The word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. It gets right into the nitty-gritty of our lives. Have you been reading the scriptures and suddenly a verse or a passage or a word springs out? Do you know that that is God speaking to you? I don't know who said this, but I remember uh, someone said, as I read the Bible, the Bible reads me. The Bible reveals who we are as well as who the Saviour is. So in verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The word of God had warmed their hearts, transformed their lives. That's exactly what happened to John Wesley in 1738. This is what he wrote in his journal. At 8.45pm I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Anybody watch Hercule Poirot on TV? Thank you for being honest. I, I like Hercule Poirot. I sometimes listen to the radio dramas of Hercule Poirot, but that's another story. David Suchet, the actor who plays Hercule Poirot, uh, back in the 1980s, was in a hotel room and he picked up a Bible and he read through Romans. And he read Romans 8 and subsequently he came to a place where he followed Jesus Christ through reading the Word of God. Chris Akabusi, uh, the, uh, the athlete, something very similar happened to him. They came to faith uh, in Christ. It's a lovely story. I can't guarantee this is true. It may be apocryphal. But in America, there was a church next door to a beauty parlour. Yeah, just set the scene. Church, beauty parlour, beauty parlour, church. The beauty parlour had a sign outside saying, come in for a facelift. So the church thought they'd go one better, put up a massive sign and said, come in for a faith lift. Yeah? What's our faith level at the moment? It's sometimes it's a bit up and down, isn't it? Yeah? Sometimes we feel we can trust God for anything. At other times, we find it a bit of a challenge. Verse 28, as they approached the village to, 
to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Have you ever thought what might have happened if they hadn't taken the opportunity to invite Jesus into their home? If they hadn't urged him to stay, they would have missed out on a memorable experience of spending time with him. Jesus opened their mind to the scriptures and then he opened their eyes. We come to what I believe is the second key phrase in this lovely passage. Our two friends invited Jesus to stay for a meal and we read when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sights. Maybe they saw the nail prints in his hands or more probably his wrists. But the end of verse 35 we read, the two told what had happened and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke bread. Wonderful thing about becoming a follower of Jesus is before and after. Uh, before we were blind. The Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus. So we're blind. And then, as the Spirit of God, as it were, unwraps those bands around our eyes, we're, we're able to see. Our eyes are open to see who Jesus is, what he's done on the cross, and what he can potentially do for us. And I believe for each of us, God wants to open our eyes even wider to see what he wants to do in us and, and, and through us. I think he wants to open our eyes afresh to all the possibilities that he is opening up for us. We don't want to miss out on any opportunity that is being opened up. Maybe your vision as you look forward isn't too clear at the moment. Maybe you can't see uh, the way forward. I love what Paul was saying about uh, the sun uh, and the mist. And gradually uh, the, the mist clears because of the warmth, because of the presence of the sun. And that just made me think as I was sitting there. Maybe for us, the, the mist is blocking the way forward and it's the sun, the Son of God, the risen Son, who will clear the way for us in his way and time. Maybe you're at the crossroads. You need to make some sort of decision You to pray that God will give you that wisdom to make the right choice. Maybe some of you, and this is a bit of a car illustration rather than walking, maybe some of you at a, at a roundabout, and you're going round and round and round, and your Christian life, if you're honest, is in a bit of a rut. You're just going round and round in circles. God wants you to move forward and show you which exit, as it were, to get off. Maybe you're on stop at traffic lights. Uh, none of us like being held up by traffic lights, you know. Uh, we're, we're driving along, uh, and, uh, and the green light's there, uh, and we're just praying, just stay green. Then it turns to red. 
or we have to wait. Or we have to wait a little longer. If you're like me, you're not very patient when that happens. But sometimes, you know, we have to wait for God. Wait patiently for the Lord, the psalmist says. Not easy to wait patiently. Maybe for you, the Christian life at the moment is like trudging up a one in three incline and, uh, and you're just exhausted. And you need a fresh input of God's spiritual energy via his Holy Spirit. Wherever you are on your journey, whatever terrain you're facing, the presence of Jesus will make all the difference, I promise you. I guess that return trip to Jerusalem didn't take as long as the first trip to Emmaus. I guess they had a spiritual spring in their step as we see they had good news to share and they were keen to share it. So as I close, uh, it would be good to encourage us to continue our physical walks with or without a canine friend also to continue our spiritual walk with Jesus. You may sometimes feel you walking on your own. If you're a follower of Christ, he's with you. Every day, every step of the way. As we heard this morning, Easter transforms disappointment into hope. We sometimes hear the expression where there's life, there's hope. Sometimes the reverse is true. Where there's hope, there's life. Gilbert Bienkin said this, Other men see a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. I finish with a prayer uh, from Romans 15, verse 13, where Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.